Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 14th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, When Jesus Says Follow, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Here we are, 2,000 plus years later, still in awe of who he is and what he did, and still mesmerized by all that he is changed everything as he changed you. These people, in all of his power, and all of his authority, seeing things that you and I are reading about today, trying to visualize in our mind, they saw it happen live, and they still didn't come to the place that they said, I need him. I need a savior. So there's the question. Have you come to that place? Have you acknowledged your need for a savior? Will you go the way of these and, and many others that go, eh, that's neat for a Sunday morning, but I got it. You don't got it. It's the enemy messing with you. We need Jesus Christ. I have a parenting question to ask you. Most of you in here fit into that role that you've got some parenting ability here. How many times have you had somebody, or or if you've ever done this sort of thing, where you've told your kid to do something, and they look at you and they go, why? And then you answer with the appropriate answer, because I told you so. Anybody here ever say that? I say, I'm so glad I'm not the only person that ever said that. You know... The truth is our kids, like us, will obey for one of two different reasons. I mean, perhaps they'll obey simply because the person that's asking is sort of demanding and and they've got the authority to sort of, you know, force our decision and we have to do it, but we don't like it. But it's always better if we obey when we trust. If we trust the one who's asking, it seems more likely that we will obey. I think that's what we're going to get to here in the passage in Luke chapter five with Peter here. Back at the end of chapter four, at the end there in verse 38, Jesus shows up at Simon Peter's house and Simon Peter's mom is ill. I mean, to the point that she has this really bad, bad high fever and she's not doing well at all and Jesus heals her. So Peter has a trust factor already built in with Jesus. Now the reason I bring that up is the passage we're looking at this morning in chapter five is about Jesus asking Peter to do something that doesn't seem to make sense. He's gonna ask Peter to trust him, to obey. What do you do in a situation like that? I mean, as people, typically, when we think about how do we decide whether we're gonna obey on something, I mean, we typically think, well, does it make sense? Or is it practical? Does it fit with my goals? Is this something that's going to move me forward both personally and professionally? But what about when God simply asks something of me? Something that maybe doesn't fit the criteria of my life, the plan that I've put before things. What does it take to simply say yes to God when God asks? That's what we're going to be looking at 
this morning in Luke chapter five, verses one through 16. Now, as we go along with this, you're gonna see five truths here that I think are incredibly important that we wanna pull out of this whole thing. But let's stop and read this together. The first four verses sort of set the context of everything for this, the first 16 verses here. He starts off in verse one, he says, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, you may be going, I've never heard of the lake of Gennesaret. Well, have you ever heard of the Sea of Galilee? Same thing. It's also called the Lake of Tiberias. Actually, it has three different names, and the reason why it does is it sort of depends on where you're at geographically. If you're down in the very bottom, there's a big city down in the bottom called Tiberias. Uh, you know, that's, they call it, it's their lake, right? Up in the northwest, there's, you know, a Gennesaret area up there, you know, they call it theirs, and, and a larger look at it, it looks like a sea, it's so big, they just call it the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse two. And he, talking about Jesus, saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. In other words, the fishermen have done fishing. They're getting out now. They're trying to clean up their stuff. You know, everybody knows a dad sort of teaches them, hey, make sure you clean your tools off, put them all away. That's what they're doing with their nets. They're tired. They're ready to go home. Verse three. It says, in getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So obviously Jesus here feels, you know, comfortable enough with Simon Peter. He's already at his, ma his house with his mother-in-law last night. You know, to, he feels comfortable enough to get up and walk over and just simply get in the boat, put a little distance and maybe some water, which will allow the sound to sort of amplify there, you know, between him and the crowd there a little bit. And then it says he sat down to teach. In those days, you stood... Okay, you stood up to read God's word, but you sat down to teach. Now, here's where things get more interesting. Verse four, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, remember, these guys have worked all night long. They're tired. Peter's got to pay him somehow, Right? Now, here's where we get the first truth of our five points. The truth here is this, is that faith doesn't always make sense from our point of view. Faith doesn't always make sense from our point of view. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse five. This is after the request by Jesus. It says, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. You see, Peter here knows that Jesus is special. He saw what happened in his house. He saw what happened with his mom. So he knows he's special, but he also knows in the back of his mind, isn't this a carpenter's kid? So, I mean, this guy probably knows how to build a lean-to. He can, you know, build some things and stuff like that. But is, what does he know about fishing? I'm a fisherman. I can read the water. I get all that stuff. Not a very good fisherman because they caught nothing last night, okay? But, I mean, you know, they're professional fishermen. He's not, right? And so very politely in verse five, Peter says, master, we fished all night, we didn't catch anything. But here's where the trust comes in. Here's where the trust factor comes in. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Do you realize what a big deal that is to do something simply because God asks us to do it? 
I mean, obviously this didn't make a lot of sense. They want to go home, they're tired. Peter doesn't want to pay him for, you know, time and a half. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do all that kind of stuff. They've thrown the, the nets pretty much everywhere. This is their job. They're professionals at it. I mean, what does he know about this? Well, what Peter does know is that he trusts Jesus. See, faith doesn't always make sense to us. But we obey when we trust. Because trust and obedience are not two separate virtues of Christianity. They're two aspects of knowing Jesus. I mean, I can remember there was this, this one song years ago that was like a little sing-along. That's what they used to call the worship songs. You know, they used to call them sing-alongs. There was this little sing-along you sang in church. It went, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to you, you know it. I used to, you know, I remember, I used to think, is that just a kid's song? No. That's a believer's song. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, obedience matters to God. You go all the way back into the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 15, you know, the prophet there, Samuel, goes to the first king of Israel, Saul, and tells him in verse 22, he says, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't need you to come along and make the sacrifice. He doesn't need for you to offer, oh, well, I'll do this for you instead, or I'll just write a check, or I'll do it. No, he just wants you to do what I ask you to do. That's the issue. Simply do what you're asked to do. Peter could have stopped at this moment right here and said, Lord, this isn't a good use of my time. I need to get home and see the kids. I'm gonna have to pay time and a half to these guys. I mean, they're not biting. All the fishermen, they know they're not biting right now. I mean, I'm gonna look like an idiot. He could have said any of those things. And you know what his response is? At your word, though, I'll do it. He trusts. Now look how big a catch this really is, starting in verses six and seven. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking and their signal to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, I don't know about you, but I think people tell, you know, fish stories, right? Yeah, I caught this fish and it was that big. You know, I mean, can you imagine catching fish, though, at this point, and it's so much that it's going to sink two fishing boats? I've never heard of that in my whole life. I mean, that, that's, this is an incredible amount. There had to be incredible, you know, I, I'm sure they're just high-fiving each other all over the place. They got to be thinking, I mean, Peter at this moment, the, you know, the fish are just everywhere, more than he could possibly imagine. He's got to be thinking, hey, I can pay off my home. Maybe I'll buy a bigger boat. Maybe I'll buy a second boat and hire deckhands. I mean, he's just really, you know, thinking about the future and wheeling and dealing and everything. But look at his response. Look at verse 8. It says, but Simon Peter, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter drops to his knees before Jesus. Now, here's where you get the second truth here. The second truth is that coming to Jesus should make us aware of our sinfulness. Peter's reaction is not, wow, this is great. I'm gonna be rich. His 
reaction is not, hey, Jesus, that was awesome what you did today. Could you show up tomorrow? Because if I could string together four or five of these days like this, I could just call it quits and go buy a place on the beach. He doesn't do any of that. He sees this catch. Instantly, he knows who he's dealing with there. I mean, his response is, is amazing. He, he knows, his response is, the Lord just filled my nets beyond anything I can possibly ever imagine, anything I've ever even heard of. And so at that moment, he knows, this isn't just a good guy. This isn't just uh, a guy who guessed right. Uh-uh. Jesus manipulated time and matter and put those fish in that net in such a miraculous way. It's never happened since. It will never happen again. And it occurs to him, this is the Lord. And in total humility, he drops to his knees. Now, I will tell you that that is the exact right response that any of us should have to recognize who Jesus is as well. Because it also makes us aware of who we are. And this is not uncommon. In fact, it's more common than it is uncommon in the scriptures for us to react to God like that. In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah gets this glimpse into heaven, which means he got a chance to see God for a minute. But whenever we get a chance to see God, there's also this glimpse onto who we are as people. And, and so, you know, this past week, I, I, you know, I was talking with our tech people and I said, is there any possible way we can help our people get a, just a small feeling of what it must have been like for Isaiah to get that glimpse? So, We'll see if you can, this helps at all. Isaiah 6, verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, and woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what's so amazing about his response there? His response is exactly you know, the same as Peter's response. It's a realization of God, who he is, and all of a sudden, who he is as well. It's the right response. It's the humble response. It's not, wow, how fortunate am I? <laughs> Man, I'm blessed. It's not, oh, God's, you know, God's grace is just upon me, and I'm just going to get rich. It's God's plan for my life. No, that's not it at all. His response is total humility. Again, this isn't the only time this happens. 
And a couple of chapters forward in Luke chapter seven, there's a story of a woman who's, who's classically thought to be a woman of ill repute. She's going along the street. She sees Jesus in dining with a group of the Pharisees and she just totally takes her life into her own hands and she goes in, she enters in. Now, first of all, they could have easily stoned her on the street because of her life, but now she's walking into you know, this room full of all these Pharisees and she just goes in and the passage says she falls down at the feet of Jesus because that's what you do when you recognize who Jesus really is. And she begins to, to weep and, that, and the, the tears, she washes his feet. And then she takes her hair and she dries his feet with that. Why? Because she gets who Jesus is and who we are. This is what made Peter so special. I mean, go back to verses nine and 10 here and look at this reaction here. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. It says, and also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partnering with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. No one other than Peter recognized the moment for what it really was. All of them were astounded at the beginning, but then all of a sudden in the middle of that astounding moment, Peter falls to his knees. And the very person that now has just made him feel insecure and afraid affirms him more deeply than he's ever been affirmed. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you're gonna do another type of fishing. Now, here's where you get the third truth. The third truth here comes from verse 10, and that is that coming to Jesus defines our purpose. Now, listen carefully here, because if you've ever been one of those people that have struggled, I don't even know if I really know what my purpose is. We're gonna make it clear for you. Verse 10 says, from now on, you will be catching men. Trusting in Jesus moves the people that do that to a gospel-centered life. You see, once the realization hits that Jesus loves me enough to forgive me and then to place his Holy Spirit inside of me and adopt me into his family, then I realize that the most significant story that has ever been told has been given to us. Yes, God, because he's amazing, could take a dark sky at night and every single night it would say, this day produced and directed by God. He could do that if he wanted to. He didn't choose to do that. He chose to take his story and said, the very people who were saved by this story, it's yours. You tell the story. That's our purpose. We're saved to serve. We're saved to tell the story. Now, that could be scary for you. It was to Peter. Yeah, I know that from verse 10 here because Jesus has to tell him, do not be afraid. What was he afraid of? He was afraid that Jesus was gonna ask him to do something he's never done before. The only thing he knows is fishing. It's how he pays the bills how he feeds his family. Jesus was calling Peter to a greater purpose in his life. Peter's catch of fish here was awesome. 
but not as significant as what it would be. You see, what do you mean? Well, if you were to go to the book of Acts and you go to Acts chapter two, tells us that Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 came to believe that first day. Not just that. Two chapters later in Acts chapter five, 5,000 more came to believe because of his preaching. I'd say that's a better haul of fish. Now verse 11 here is gonna give us the fourth truth. And that is that coming to Jesus means we follow Look what he says in verse 11. And when they had brought their nets to land, they left everything and they followed. They left everything and they followed. What did they leave? Well, most assuredly, this had to be the greatest catch that Peter had ever had. I mean, the guy's on the cusp of absolute professional and economic, you know, uh, success. I mean, socially, this guy's gonna be famous. He's going to be respected. He's going to be sought out. He will be legendary. I mean, the fish stories about this guy are off the charts now. And yet, Jesus is asking him, Peter, walk away from it. Walk away. I've got something better for you. I've got a better catch for you. And Peter does. You say, people don't do that. Mark Yule did. You all know Mark Yule. Did you know that he was an incredibly successful uh, um, commercial real estate guy for many, many years? And then Jesus called. There was no bartering back and forth. This wasn't like a new company coming to him going, hey, we'll give you a greater percentage of the, you know, it wasn't like that. This is the king of the universe calling. You say yes when he calls. Mark did. So what does that mean for you and I? When we come to faith in Jesus, am I just supposed to leave my vocation and stop doing what I'm doing and, and go do that? Maybe. I can't tell you. Some of you feel like you were called to something. You know what? You're not going to find satisfaction until you can figure out a way to do it. Maybe not. Maybe the place of ministry for you is, look, God has me in this business. I work in this. And, and, I'm, and you know what? That's the place you're supposed to shine your light. That's totally fine. The issue is, do we say yes to the Lord? Dave Sonnenberg is a full-time accountant with the Department of Defense. But he's also the pastor of First Baptist Church of Gila Bend. He's bivocational. He earns a living as an accountant. But Dave and his family serve the king of the universe by loving a group of people in Gila Bend that can't afford to pay a salary. See, they believe when Jesus calls, you say yes. Whether you work in a large company, a small firm, whether state, federal, local government, doesn't matter. When you hear the call, when you, you've come to believe and trust in the gospel, when you've given your life to Christ, you've got to come to the place where you realize that Jesus is not just an addition to your life. 
it's not like you go, hey, how was your year last year? Oh, it was great. I, I started working out up at the club. Uh, I prayed to ask Jesus into my life, bought a new car. It's not just an addition to your life. It changes everything. Jesus completely reconstructs our lives. He transforms our priorities. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that when we come to faith in Jesus, we become new creations. Two things happen. The old things pass away and all things become new. Now, here's how a little test for you. Is that true of you? Say, well, no, I, you know, I feel like I still am the same pattern. Can I tell you why that happens? Because we battle change. It's just easier to do what we've always known. It would have been so much easier for Peter just to go, hey, good idea, but I got to fish tomorrow. No. When Jesus calls, say yes. Listen, perspective-wise, I can't even tell you the unknown thousands of people who lived around the Sea of Galilee who, who, who made their living off that, pulling fish out of there and, you know, for their own family to eat, but also, you know, to sell to other people. They lived and they died nameless lives to the rest of the world. But then you've got Peter and Andrew and James and John whose names are known universally throughout the world. Why? Because when Jesus called, they said, yes. Yes. Now, when you get to verses 12 through 16, Luke adds another encounter, this time between Jesus and a leper. leper. This is where you get the fifth truth here, and that is that coming to Jesus brings healing Look at verse 12, it says, and while he was in one of the cities, there a man, uh, came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them Now even more, the reports about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and and pray. Coming to Jesus brings healing. I, I love at the beginning of that in verse 12, I love the attitude there of the leper. He stops and he says, Lord, if you will. What I love is the humility of that. What I, what I don't like is, is to hear people say, well, I demand that you do that because I, I pray it in Jesus' name. You don't know who you're talking to then. This leper does. Lord, if you will. He gets who Jesus is. It's an amazing story. Jesus here doesn't have to touch him. In fact, the truth is there with that picture in verse 13 when he does, when Jesus actually reaches out and touches him, he made himself socially unclean. In other words, he had to sequester himself away for eight full days just to prove that he wouldn't get leprosy. You know why he did it? Because there was a leper there that needed to be touched. Beautifully, I mean, this is... 
it's so personal, it's un- unbelievable. If, you, if there's anything that you would want in a savior, it's one that reaches out and touches. Jesus reaches out and touches this man here who probably has not felt human touch in years. What's he doing? He's bringing this man who's been marginalized and pushed away back into community. Back into the church. Verse 14, Jesus says, go to the priest. Prove you're clean now. Why did he do that since he'd already been healed? It's because the priest would let him back into the community back with family and friends. You see, this is the beginning of something that we're gonna see over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. That people who the world considers to be losers, that the world considers to be outcasts and, and unimportant and the defiled, Jesus reaches out and touches them and pulls them back into community. Gives them a purpose in life greater than their own pleasures. These are people who the world considers throwaways. They aren't throwaways to Jesus. You're not a throwaway to Jesus. Why does he do that? Because that's the pattern of Jesus' salvation. Jesus was not the Messiah that the world expected. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and, and they'll join me. Jesus was someone who, who didn't take power and just use it on himself. He's, he's someone who came in the flesh, made himself weak to pay a price for us. He's someone who served to give his life as a ransom for many. He's someone who touches lepers. That touch is still available today. I, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know if your heart's beating fast. I don't know if you've had thoughts about God and, and wanting to you know, build this relationship with him. I don't know where any of those things are at with you, but I will tell you that that touch of the master is still available today that you can be forgiven this morning. You could have hope. In the midst of a hopeless world, you could have hope. You can have peace with God, which is the, the platform for having peace with everything else. You can have purpose in life. If you've wondered, why am I really here? And your purpose will become clear. You can have brand new life in Christ. It comes by simply placing our trust and our faith in Jesus. And so if that's you maybe this morning, I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna pray it out loud. I'd encourage you to pray after me silently right where you're at. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life and take control of me. I ask you to give me new life in you as your child. I want to know you, Lord. I want to live for you. I don't even know how, so teach me, God. 
surround me with people that will help me, will disciple me, will bring me along. But Lord, I love you and want you to live inside of me. Let me ask you a question. No one's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, first of all, let me say, welcome to the family. None of us were born Christians. We make a decision to follow the king of the universe when it's presented, and here it is. I would encourage you that when this service ends, do not just walk out the door. We have, a, uh, we have an area back to the south end of the, the worship center that just says, follow Jesus. Stop by there. Let the people that are there not only pray for you and pray with you, but give you some information that will make this walk a lot clearer and a lot easier. There'll be people down front that would love to be able to pray for you and with you if you're hurting. They're here. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those that prayed the prayer, that they would truly walk with you and not be ashamed, but uh, they would trust you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, what has God called you to do? You need to say yes. If you're saying, oh, wait, I don't know if I know what God's called me to do, well, then the last verse in that passage says he got away to desolate places and he prayed. Let me encourage you. God doesn't want this to be a mystery either. So spend some time, get alone, get some time alone with God. He'll make it clear. But let me remind you again one more time. Obedience should not be directed by worldly logic. It's about trusting in God. Meeting Jesus is humbling. If it's not been humbling for you, I don't know if you have yet. Meeting Jesus introduces me to my purpose. Trusting in Jesus moves me to serve. God's call in your life is to make your life count now for him. Say yes. God bless you all. Love you all. Have a good day.